0: is the one image that John says he sees in Revelation. He sees a couple other things, but the one particular image that he sees in verses 1 uh, through our text, 1 through 10, called the beast. All right, so let's first, now let's look at, draw our attention to the Scripture. Let's read the Scripture, and then we will go back and... Uh, break down this text and the subject matter tonight. Revelation 13 verses 1 to 10. The subject is who is the beast tonight? And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names, the name of blasphemy and the beast which i saw was like unto a leopard and his feet were as a the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his authority and his seat i'm sorry the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority and i saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed And all the world wondered after the beast, and they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the, book of, of the, in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Some of you have heard about Walter Cronkite. Walter Cronkite. He was a very famous uh, uh, news broadcaster. Um, 60s and through ni- I think 1962 to 1981, he covered important events like uh, the moon landing and John F. Kennedy's assassination and uh, uh, events of Vietnam. And some of the older I, I don't remember as much. My our parents, grandparents would remember him a lot. <clears throat> I want to hear. You, I want you to listen to something he said. And what I'm gonna, the reason I'm telling I'm not just picking on him, but what he says is symbolic of the mentality of a lot of people uh, in the probably the last 50 years. He was uh, Walter Cronkite. He might have been a you know maybe an admired um, news broadcaster, a news anchor, but he had r- kind of radical views for what we'd say a typical American. He basically would like wanted America to become. Uh, run by the United Nations, and have them have a military force to enforce their laws on us. He had that type of one-worldism mentality, which, by the way, a lot of the American politics, especially the left wing of, in America, is basically ready to throw their hands up and say, let's just surrender to the international community and let them tell us what to do. Uh, American values are, you know, and they just want to dispose of our national uh, Autonomy. And I don't think that's wise, but it's probably going to go that way unless we see a spiritual revival. But Walter Cronkite, he had some views wanting kind of a one world type of a, uh, govern, government. He wanted the UN to have executive uh, leadership over us. <clears throat> but in 1999, he gave a speech at the United Nations and he, he, was re, he received a, an award. It was called the Norman Cousins Global Governance Award. And he received the award from, actually, the World Federalists Federalist Association. And when he gave a speech, he said in his speech that he would be glad to sit at the right hand of Satan if it meant the establishment of a one-world government. Here's what his quote went like. He, he started quoting a Christian leader who wrote a book, and he said, this Christian leader wrote this book, and he said that... Um, And this is what he was saying. His Christian leader wrote this book, and he said that uh, uh, we should have a one-world government, but only when the Messiah arrives, that Christian leader said. And this Christian leader said that any attempt to achieve a one-world order before the Messiah arrives must be the work of the devil, Walter Cronkite quotes this Christian leader. And then Walter Cronkite followed up with this statement. Well, join me. I'm glad to sit here at the right hand of Satan, unquote. He said that at the United Nations. In other words, he had the mentality at this, uh, it's not a full one world government, it's a kind of a representative of a government, it's the UN, basically saying, boy, it'd be nice to have one, a one world government and a one world leader, even if he was Satan, is what he's basically saying. And there's kind of becoming that mentality right now in the world, where we're becoming, uh, we're becoming very disgusted with world leaders. You know, people that, that want to throw over their government, throw over. Uh, we don't like, we don't trust this, we don't trust this. And eventually, if things keep going in this trajectory, it's going to head toward. Finally, we got a guy. When well, we had a coalition there in Europe, and but finally, we got a one guy we can all get behind, and it will be this person that is symbolized here. We'll show you in a little bit. Now, quite frankly, I, I believe this. I know some of you don't, but if you think about it, God could reset everything again and not come back for another 1,000 years. He could because we don't know the day or the hour. The trajectory is going this way, but He could stop and reset things. They thought, the, the apostles thought Jesus was coming in their century, and then other times at other places, they thought the Lord's coming back in you know, the dark ages because of how things were. He could reset it. We don't know. The date and the hour, but the way things are going, thing of a one-world leader and a one-world government. So let's let's look here. This passage is about um, this beast, this beast here. Now, just a couple introductory things. What we see here in this passage is a satanic trinity, and I'm not making this up, and I'm trying to. I'm not trying to squeeze something into the text. As we go through the next few weeks and study this, you're going to see, yeah, there's kind of like a satanic trinity. And it makes sense because anything God is, Satan tries to counterfeit. Anything good God distributes or gives to mankind, Satan tries to counterfeit. God has a true gospel. Satan has a false gospel. God has a true design for the family. Satan has a false design for the family. Um, God has a one, God has his son, the Messiah. Satan has his Messiah, whom we'll look at tonight. Just as God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, there's Satan who's anti-God. There's God and anti-God, Satan. And then there's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and then there's anti-Christ. That is, there's Christ, the true, and there's anti-Christ, the false and the one who's replacing him, who is Satan's man as Jesus was God's Son. This is in the text. And then later on, we'll see that just as there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who moves among us. He moves among the world to get people to believe on Christ. And He doesn't glorify Himself. He brings all the world. to. He wants to convict and convince people to believe on Christ. So also in this text, probably next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll learn about this false prophet who is like the anti-spirit, Well, he kind of promotes the world to... Gets the world. He promotes Antichrist to get the world to worship this one world leader that's coming. Satan has a false trinity. So that's what we see here in the text. We see also that when we think about Antichrist, we think about beast. We're using these different terms here. It's the same type of personage here. Um, Daniel spoke about um, Antichrist. He spoke, him, he spoke in these terms. He was called the king of fierce countenance. This is what Daniel said. He was called uh, the one who's the prince that shall come. He's called the willful king. He's called the son of perdition, the uh, the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, Paul calls him. He will turn out to be, according to Daniel 8 and 7 and 11, very intellectual, very persuasive. He'll gain power in the world by promoting peace. Those are true ideas in Scripture that we see in Scripture of what Antichrist is like, this future one world leader. But in recent years, 50 to 100 years, there's been modern ideas of maybe it's this guy, maybe it's that guy. And people thought, I'll give you some examples and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but there was a German leader named Kaiser Wilhelm, thought he was the Antichrist or the beast. Benito Mussolini of Italy, Adolf Hitler of Germany, Joseph Stalin of USSR, JFK, John F. Kennedy. There's reasons for that. Henry Kissinger was uh, one of in the um, American government. Mikhail Gorbachev of Russia. Ronald Reagan, some have thought. Barack Obama. Now, I'm not telling you I think anybody's, any of these are or were, but that's what people have thought. They thought this, this leader seems to be kind of uh, in a groove and really got people coalesced and everything, and maybe he's Antichrist. And I, I suppose it's okay to think that, it's okay to wonder. But I'm, de- I'm convinced of this tonight. I'm convinced of this tonight. That in reality, I do not believe he will be officially revealed until after the rapture. Now, I believe that's the gist, one of the things that 2 Thessalonians 2 shows. We, he might be living today. He could have been, he maybe he's a baby, maybe he's a teenager, maybe he's at some university in Europe. Maybe he's, we don't know. He could be alive today. But the way I understand the Scripture, especially in 2 Thessalonians, He's not revealed until we're taken out of the way. Then He's officially revealed. And then there's a covenant that takes place with Israel and some official prophetic things start taking place and, they, and that many are seeing in Revelation. So anyways, there's people who have had ideas, they've been suspicious, of, maybe it's this guy, maybe it's that guy, and you want to predict it. We're really not going to know until we're gone. And what does it matter anyways for us to know as far as like now and pegging them down but on the other hand we are to know some of these things in this text to see what he's like because we're told to we're told this Bible, we're told these scriptures we're told this book we're told this chapter and we're told specifically don't wait to preach this until the tribulation preach it in the church right now and I think one of the things this will do as we get into this text and these points I'll try to go through in good time is to appreciate the real Messiah that we have the Lord Jesus Christ Because this is a false one. What do we know about the beast? Notice just some of the language here. He rises up out of the sea. Look what it says, chapter 13, verse 1. I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Again, visionary, vision that John has. He's, I'm standing on the shore in this vision. I see a beast come up out of the sea. Having these seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns on his horns. Now, wait a minute. It's kind of like the other one that was a dragon that he saw in heaven, seven heads, seven horns, a little different, similar. So he sees this one come up out of the sea. Now in Scripture, I'll give you a little help here as we study your Bible. But some, a lot of times, especially in Daniel, the sea represents that which comes of the world. Daniel saw visions of this kingdom rise up out of the sea, and it was a crazy creature that represented uh, Babylon, Another one that rose up out of the sea, that some, another creature that he saw that represented Medo-Persia. The sea represents something that comes of the world. Just even try to imagine yourself being a modern uh, coastal uh, inhabitor in this day. If you lived on the coast and you go out and you're standing there we're looking on the coast and you see all of a sudden a, 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 a ship rise because they do rise up on the horizon because of the curvature of the earth and it's coming your way and it comes and it ports In a way, that ship is symbolic of that which came from the rest of the world. And so what John sees here is somebody who comes of the world populace. And not only that, he comes not only of the world populace, this person who's coming up out of the sea, but the sea represents that which is untamed and wild and dangerous. And that's what you see in this guy. So let's notice here, we'll go through these. Shouldn't be too complex. Some points describing who is the beast. Um, let's let the Bible tell us. He's satanically empowered. Look at verse 1 and 2. I'm sorry if it didn't get all the way on the screen there. It says, in fact, let's just get to the end of verse 2. Look at the end of verse 2. The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. I probably should have read the verses before it again. It does say he's seven heads. He's got a body like a leopard that's fast, but he's not entirely a leopard. He's got feet like a bear that's ferocious. He's got uh, a mouth as a lion. That's ferocious and intimidating. And there's seven heads, seven horns, Pardon me, ten horns. This this one right here. There's one, two, three more right there. And there's a crown. There's crowns on each of these horns. Um, I'm trying not to spend a lot of time with it, but I believe that, what the Antichrist when he comes forth, he's going to represent some of the other ancient kingdoms that have been in existence that have been blasphemous type of kingdoms like Egypt and Babylon and Greece and Medo-Persia. And he's going to come himself of a coalition of, I believe, ten nations in Europe. And I believe where he comes from is from something of of the revived Roman Empire. Okay? So this both symbolizes an individual and also an organization. The, The beast, in this text, we can perceive him as both part of an organization and also yet an individual who's dominating that. But he's satanically empowered. This is what I want you to see. He's satanically empowered. He is, he is, a, he is a Satan's right-hand man. Where was the dragon? Remember chapter 12, verse 3, John saw the dragon in heaven, right? I saw this seven-headed dragon in heaven. And then the dragon gets cast to the earth. That means Satan has, is, has access to heaven to a certain extent. One day he's going to be finally cast to the earth. But then he sees the same seven-headed thing on earth, not from heaven. So this is a real person from the earth, a real individual, but he's going to get empowered by this dragon who gets cast to the earth. He's going to get powered. Hey, if somebody, you know, you've heard of this stuff. I heard this in the 80s, this hard rock music and stuff. They're like, yeah, that hard rocker sold his soul to Satan. And that's when he started having really good music. That's what they say. And I could name people of, of hard rockers that said they did that. I sold my soul to Satan. All of a sudden, the sales went up. You know, made a lot of money and whatever. Satan can make people successful. He can make people powerful. He's going to make this man powerful. Look what it says. The devil, the dragon that is at the end of verse 2, gave him his power look at the end of verse 2, and his seat and great authority. He gave him his power and his seat and great authority. What, so what does that mean? Think of Satan, the dragon. He has power. He has a seat. He has great authority. And he gives it to somebody who's surrendered to it. He gives him power. You know, the Bible says, of, again, this is a false Messiah. Here you have Satan, a false god, anti-God, giving power to anti-Christ. So also God the Father gave power to the Lord Jesus Christ His Son. Jesus said, all power is given unto me. And his power is given so that we'd preach the gospel. The power of Satan is given to this Antichrist so that he would preach a false gospel and get people to follow a false savior. Remember what Jesus, what happened to Jesus when he went to the wilderness at the end? Somebody talk back to me. What happened to him? At the end of the 40 days in the wilderness, Seamus, Satan tempted him. Tell me one of the things Satan said that tempted him. Yeah, that's right. Satan said, again, Jesus has subjected himself to flesh and blood, humble himself in, 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 in the form of man. He's fasting, and, there, and he's enduring the temptations of the devil. The devil says, look at all this stuff. See all these kingdoms? Gives him a vision of it. Gives him his power. Shows him a vision of his power. And he says, if you'll fall down and worship me, I'll give you all this power, all this kingdom. And Jesus, d- no. The point is, is this beast takes that offer he takes the power that jesus refused do you get that jesus said <laughs> i mean the devil is talking to the ceo of the universe really but here another person will say i'll take that power and he does so here, he's satanically empowered number two he supernaturally recovers of something look at this look what it says there um, verse three: I saw one of his heads, referring to this beast, the middle head representing this particular antichrist. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. His deadly wound was healed. Uh, we could imagine. We can kind of do all kinds of thought here, and um, but maybe he shot. Maybe the Perhaps this world leaders. He comes into power. He's doing things fine. He's being peaceful. He's got his covenant with Israel. He's in a coalition of nations. Things are going fine. He, boom, he's shot in the head like JFK was. His brains were blown all over the car, even on his wife. And he, and he recovers from it. This beast, this man is has a deadly wound. Maybe it's by a sword. Maybe it's by, I don't know what it is. But he has a deadly, wo- I mean if you get a wound to the head it's it's bad, a deadly wound and then he recovers it's almost as if he re- is resurrected you know there were some people in the 60's that were a little suspicious of JFK because JF- for the American culture JFK was the first Catholic to become president and for a predominantly Protestant you know conservative type Christianity nation that was like whoa wait we can't, can we have a Catholic I thought we were running away from Europe because of that stuff but JFK was the first you know by and large, his policies seem to be okay. But people are like, well, you better watch him, you know. And then he gets assassinated. And then when he was assassinated, there were some people I thought, I wonder if he's going to come up out of that uh, coffin there. Maybe he's the Antichrist because he got wounded to the head. And that's what some people just kind of their imaginations got away with them and they thought maybe that could happen. And this is going to be something... Similar to this person. And he's going to recover. It's almost like, again, he's a false messiah. He's anti-Christ. By the way, anti doesn't, anti means both against and in place of. It means not just that he's fighting against Christ, but that he's in the place of Christ. So this person, this world leader who's going to come on the scene one day, he's going to, you know, everything's going to be going fine. He's going to get injured in the head. And, oh, man, that he didn't do anything wrong to anybody. Yeah, he's going to be dead. And then he's going to recover. And they go, what? It's almost like his death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah, it's going to be like that. And all the world's going to cause three things. Wonder. Look at verse 3. It's going to cause three things. All the world, look at the end of verse 3, wondered after the beast. Wow! Amazing. Maybe he was. In, maybe he was in, you know, someplace for three days or more and he comes back wow how did he get healed we didn't see scars on him it causes wonder it causes worship look at verse four and they worshiped after this happened what does it do it stirs up worship throughout the whole world they worship the dragon now they're satanic worship which gave power unto the beast and they worship the beast saying who is like unto the beast who is like Unto the beast, it causes worship, and then it cancels war against him. Look at the end of verse 4. They said, who is like the beast? And then they said, who's able to make war with him? Ah. Do you see what's happening here? There was some leader, some world leader, the beast, the Antichrist. He seems to be doing fine. He gets injured in the head to death, from what we can tell in the text. Comes back, he's recovered, and the world's going, wow! Wow! He's awesome. And they say, who could take on this guy? Who's going to go to war with this guy? Anybody want to fight him? Why don't you be our leader for everything? You know? And it's like he's going to seem indomitable. And it's like it cancels war against him. So he's supernaturally covered. Now, another thing about him, the Bible tells us he has a strong voice. Look at verse 5 and 6. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 40 and two months, verse 6, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. What I think happens is, is by the time this beast, this world leader, this Antichrist is injured and recovers, he finally goes into this Jewish temple that he allowed peace, to have peace in, that the Jews to worship in and make a covenant with, because he did make a covenant with them, according to Daniel. And he finally goes in there and says, ha, ha, I'm God. That's what Paul says would happen Second 2 Thessalonians 2. He's going to appear like, hey, I'm the God. And he's going to blaspheme God. He's going to blaspheme the temple. And he's going to speak against, what does it say? Heaven, them that dwell in heaven. He has a strong voice. Voice, letter A, a couple things about His voice. It's a voice that's given to Him. Look at what it says, verse 5, and there was given unto Him. Look at verse 5, and it was power was given unto Him to continue 40 in two months, that's three and a half years. Look at verse 7, and it was given unto Him. I want you to notice that whatever kind of loud mouth He is, whatever type of mesmerizing speech He can do and give, Whatever type of power and just sway he has, watch this. It's given to him. And it's given to him for a certain amount of time, and it'll stop after a while. In other words, God, whether you can figure this out or not, God permitted it. There you go. Now, mind you, he's permitting it in a world that's saying, We don't want your voice. And so there's given unto them another voice it's a voice that's given god can permit or prevent he's still in control it's a voice that's great look what it says there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies do you ever heard that okay just just think about that. have you ever heard somebody's like man that guy's got an awesome voice when he talks do you ever hear somebody like that every now and then like if i'm in a public place i'll be sitting there and you kind of hear a certain tone a certain hum and then all of a sudden sometimes you'll hear a just this, man, is that guy in the radio type of voice? What an awesome voice he's got. It's far from mine, you know? What a, man, just keep, to, where is that guy? I just want to keep listening to him. Man, it sounds so good. What a great voice. Just keep talking. You can read the back of the label of my strawberry jelly. It sounds cool still, you know? Read the ingredients on my bubble gum. That just sounds, your voice is awesome. You know what I'm saying? Come on. There's people like that. They have like a really good voice. Forget if it's evil or bad. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. It's just like, whoa, that sounds good. Now, people with good voices should be using them for good, and they should be animated by something that's godly. It'd be great if they're Christians and there's God's spirit filling. That'd be great. But there's some people that have outstanding voice, outstanding sound and diction and look and all the stuff, and, and it's animated by something else. In this case, he will be animated by the worst the devil, but his voice will sound good. It'll be great. We want to hear another speech. We want to hear another thing that the beast says. So a strong voice. It's given, it's great, and it's godless. It says he speaks blasphemies, verse 5 says, and verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. He rails on God, and people go along with it. You know, even now, if somebody in leadership just starts saying something really Anti God. Even most Americans would be like, yeah, come on. I mean, but this guy's going to see so mesmerizing. People are like, yeah. And they're going to believe what he says, how he blasphemes God. And then he's a slayer of Christians. Verse 7 says, It was given, though, it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues. So, here, the first half of that verse tells us he's a slayer of Christians. This is going to be in the future. He's going to kill a lot of there'll be Christians that people that get saved in the future, in this seven-year tribulation period. In the future, I believe that our the, as an institution, the church will be gone. But there'll be people saved because the gospel's preached through other means. And he's going to start slaying them. And God's going to allow it. He's given them to men to make war with the saints and to overcome them. God is going to allow the bad guy to win for a while. He's a slayer of Christians. Number six, he subdues the world. Look at verse, I'm sorry, number five. Look at the end of verse seven. And it says, power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. What is that? a universal ruling, a universal government right there. Power is given Him over all. There'll be a Caesar again. You know, there's a there's one-world government in a way in Jesus' day, one-world currency. They showed Jesus the coin. He's like, well, just pay that tax, you know. There'll be a one-world government in this day. He'll be have power over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And then he's shown worship. Verse 8, we already saw some of that. Look at verse 8. It says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. All that dwell. Now, what kind of people are we going to worship Those whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You know, God knows whoever, who all is going to be saved and who all is not. And in the tribulation time, you're going to know right quick who's saved and who's not. There'll be people who take the mark of the beast. We'll look at that later on in the text. And there'll be people who don't. And it's going to be like, you either are or you're not a Christian. You're either with the beast or you're against him. You're either with Christ or you're against him. And when people start finally bowing the knee to this person, this personage, be like, that's done. You're They're not saved. Their name's not there. And so he's going to be shown worship. But last point is, we see this last point. We we see a solemn counsel. There's some solemn, serious counsel in verse 9 and 10. Two parts to it. First part is, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. All right. I have an ear, and it's hearing okay so far. I am getting uh, offers for hearing aids in the mail. I keep thinking, oh, those are from my dad. They get my name, my Michael William Henry II. He's, ah, ah, and then I'm like, wait a minute, I might need to save this thing. here. And I'm getting old here. I have an ear to hear. I can still hear. It's saying, what he's saying is, listen, if, if you have the capacity to listen, listen to the, what was being said. Say, I'm not going to be in the tribulation time during that time because I'm a Christian. I know, but if you have an ear, just listen to this stuff. Listen to what's being described here. A false Messiah. Aren't you glad you have the real Messiah? There's a false Savior. Aren't you glad you have the real Savior? There's a one who's a man of sin. He is a man of sin. It's gonna be all it's gonna be good sinning on the earth during his day. Aren't you glad we have a Savior who cleanses us and frees us from sin? I have an ear to hear this. So it's good to know about this person. And then he. And the other part of the council is this. And perhaps it's more for those in this. In this part, may be more for those in that time. He that leads in, leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Now listen to this statement. And this is a statement that's that's borrowing from some of the statements of the prophets. So what's happening, imagine this time, there's a future day, there's going to be this world world leader, Antichrist, everybody's going to be mesmerized with him, and he's going to start killing Christians, taking them captive, killing with the sword, making everybody else enjoy his economy, as long as they got the mark of the beast, making everything else fine, the best he can, but he's going to be killing and leading into captivity Christians and killing with the sword. And here's this word of God that says, listen to this, the person who's leading into captivity, they're going to go into captivity themselves. The person who's killing these Christians with the sword, he's gonna get killed with the sword too. That's the patience and faith of the saints. In other words, there'll be Christians in that day that are really gonna have to be patient. We get all, I mean, we as Americans fall apart because a Democrat takes office and you know because he has a lot of anti-God policies, and I it bugs me to like like crazy stuff like that. And more and more godless minds ruling in our public policy, that bothers me. But and i got to be patient. I can imagine these Christians in this day, whew, the most godless leader, and he's slaying people. And the Lord says, he's, His day's coming. He's slain with the sword. He's going to get it. He's taking people captive. He's going to go captive into the bottomless pit. And it could also be a warning back to Christians in this day. Don't play that game. <laughs> Don't play their game. Don't take the sword with them. That's a solemn warning. So let's conclude here. I have one of two points I'd like to conclude with. Um, uh, let me say, we'll make this the second point. The first point I'd like to conclude with is John, the Apostle John warns us against antichrists, with a lower A. John says, you have heard the Antichrist, that is a one person, is going to come, but even now, John says there are many Antichrists, with a little a. In other words, the big guy's coming, the big bad monster's coming, but between now, between then and now, there's many anti, there's many, um, you know, mesmerizing leaders, charismatic leaders that, in a sense, are taking the place of Jesus, taking the place of his gospel taking the place of of a true church. There's many antichrists with a false gospel, with a leadership that's leading us away from the true God. So we need to take heed against antichrists now. Anything that's preaching a, a gospel message that adds works, that's an antichrist gospel. If it's preaching a message that is changing who Jesus is, that's an Antichrist gospel. We always got to measure what's the gospel you're preaching? What is the Jesus, you, what think you of Christ? Whose son is he? Otherwise, it's an Antichrist type of a message. But the last point, a takeaway here, take heed against Antichrist. But most of all, you know what we need to look for? We need to look, we're looking for the Christ, not the Antichrist. Now, we're told about him, but when we're to wait, we're waiting for Christ from heaven. I could take you to multiple scriptures. There's one of them. Um, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, the, the apostles in the first century through the other century, and Christians through the other, throughout the century, and us today should say, Jesus could come back. Jesus could come back. That is for the rapture part, later on for the return. But he could come back. He could come back. We're looking for the appearing of the Christ. There's some Christian, variant Christian thoughts and variant Christian views of prophecy that right now, even in some Baptist circles, you know what they're looking for? Antichrist to appear. Then they know, okay, now he, then this is going to happen, This and then we get raptured a little bit after that. And there's some strange views right now regarding the rapture, and some of it amounts to when the Antichrist shows up, then we know our rapture's coming soon. But we are never told to look for the Antichrist. We're just told that he does show up under these circumstances. We're told to look for the Lord Jesus Christ, our true Savior. You know, some days I'm like looking for more than ever. Like, hey Lord, this would be a great day to come. Just get me out of this stuff, right? I know some kids probably think that, oh, we're having broccoli tonight. Would you come back? You know. You know that's, that's very minimal, but I know how some kids can think, you know. I got a, I got an algebra test. Lord, could you just come back? You know. But in all in all seriousness, we look that's what we look for, and it's just it's becoming. As I get older, it's becoming more and more real to me. And, uh, and you know, again, the trajectory of the world is getting closer and closer and closer to that event happening. But again, uh, we're gonna, we'll move in this text and meet this other beast here. And I think there's some important takeaway lessons that we learned from him, this one who we call...